Hello everyone, this is Saqib joined by Sanket Singhbal and uh, it's time to do a cricket podcast uh, at Cricket with an Accent of course and uh, the big series India-Australia uh, less than uh, almost a week away with the first test in Adelaide. Welcome Sanket. So let's start with the first test and with the Australian squad when announced, are there any surprises uh, since you follow the pulse of Australian cricket pretty closely? Uh, is this a squad that you would have picked or uh, what stands out? I think it's pretty close to the squad that I would have picked. I mean, uh, Matt Renshaw is is in the squad for the series against Pakistan in the UAE. Couldn't play because he got him, got himself injured in the warm up match, and you know the, this, the the team management decided that he hadn't had enough match practice in recent times to to be able to, uh, to be picked for that for that series. And then I mean, it was widely expected that he would walk back into the side at home, but I mean. Sh- uh, they played five rounds of Sheffield Shield cricket uh, now, and you know four, four of these rounds were actually played before the squad was announced. And Matt Renshaw's performance in the Sheffield Shield was very disappointing. It's it, it made just only one 50 plus score in these five games uh, so far. So I think his omission in the in that regard was expected. And and they've gone with the guy in, guys in form. Marcus Harris has been performing really well. He scored a very good double hundred. On, on a difficult wicket at the MCG uh, in, in one of the Sheffield Shield matches recently. So, and uh, he's also scored a couple of 50s besides that. So, uh, I think well-deserved selection. He's, I think he's the leading run scorer uh, in, in the Sheffield Shield over the last two or three seasons, if you take it cumulatively, ever since he moved to Victoria from Western Australia. Uh, he's been performing really consistently. So, I think that's a good selection. Uh, other than that, I mean, Marsh brothers were widely derided for their performances in the UAE, but I mean, Sean Marsh has been a revelation ever since he's come back home, scored 100 in that ODI series against South Africa, uh, has been doing really well in shield cricket. So I guess, and and he was the second best batsman in the, in the Ashes uh, last year after Steve Smith. So I think at home, I think he definitely deserves another go. And Mitchell Marsh, I think that's probably a slightly more controversial selection because he doesn't really have a proven test record. To back him up, but again, he, he he did get one big hundred, one fifty odd in in one of the Shield matches, and um, they're desperate to have a fifth bowling option in the squad. So, you know, I think it probably makes sense to have to have him around. Okay, let me ask you this: Is Mitchell Marsh at best? Uh, is he uh, comparable to what uh, Shane Watson was in the initial part of his career when he could legitimately uh, bowl, you know, ten to twelve overs and even, you know. Uh, take a couple of wickets and, you know, keep his average of 40. So then that's a decent all-rounder to me. But right now, uh, I've spoken to you offline as well. He's a bits and pieces kind of a guy. So you think this kind of a guy lends that balance that you just spoke about in, in a test match? If the test match goes, you know, five days and uh, bowlers do need uh, breaks. And uh, you, you, do you think he he's just a stopgap player at this point? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean Mitchell Marsh. I think I think his bowling is interesting. I mean his his record. If you look at his test record, it it, it says that his bowling average is forty one. I actually think he's a better bowler than that. And you know, injuries have probably held his bowling back a little bit because I think I remember in the two thousand and fifteen Ashes when he was picked as the fifth bowling option. Even though he had a horrendous series with the bat, he was one of Australia's best bowlers with the ball in England and had a really good summer at home on some really flat wickets against New Zealand and West Indies and even against New Zealand in New Zealand. And that was the time when he was really starting to emerge as a quality fifth bowling option who would add value to the side with his bowling. I mean, his batting was still you know, highly highly debatable, but I think he was 
beginning to add some real value to the side of the bowler. But after that, you know, uh, he went to Sri Lanka, didn't bowl much there, and and then and then in the series against South Africa at home, Australia had a massive batting collapse in the first test, after which he got dropped, and then he then he then he came back for the tour of India, where and he played a couple of tests. Again, his bowling wasn't really used much on those wickets. He, he struggled with the bat, and then then he's got a, suffered an injury and he was out for like seven or eight months. And then he returned to the Ashes last summer and he played pretty much as a specialist batsman because, you know, he, he, his bowling wasn't really used much. So, I mean, I think he was a very good bowling option maybe two or three years ago. I, I'm not too sure whether his bowling is at that level now. I think the injuries have set him, set him back in that regard and he's clearly not used to, to the same degree that he, he used to be in 2015-16. Uh, as far as batting is concerned, yeah, he had a uh, you know sort of a big breakthrough series with the bat against England last summer. I think his Test record before that was absolutely abysmal as far as batting is concerned. But had a good series against England, but again, you know, did well in the first Test in South Africa as well. But again, has in, in the in the last five Test matches, he he is again not crossed a single half century. And the problem with guys like Mitchell Marsh and even Sean Marsh is that even when they're not getting uh, when they're not getting runs, I mean, they they get out in single figures. I mean, not even getting twenties and thirties, and they're not even you know forming any kind of partnership with the other batsmen, and they they, they just become completely walking wickets, and 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 that that has been one of the major problems for Australia is that they don't form partnerships of any sorts, and 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 they just collapse in they collapse like a pack of cards. So I mean, that that that's I think definitely one of the issues with having someone like a Mitchell Marsh on the side. But yeah, I mean, if, if they want to have flat wickets and you know if they want a fifth bowling option, then I think if they, if you really want a fifth bowling option, I think it's probably still the best option around in Australia. But as I said, I, I'm not personally. If you ask me, I'm not a big fan of this five bowler theory unless you've got a genuine all rounder. And, and since you mentioned Shane Watson, I, I I mean, I let me make it clear that I wasn't a particularly big fan of Shane Watson as a Test cricketer either. Uh, apart from the brief spell when he played as a specialist batsman. And he hardly bowled probably four, five, or ten overs a game, uh, and, and opened the batting pretty well. I think I, I don't think he was ever really a serious Test match or quality all rounder. I think he's again pretty similar to Mitchell Marsh. I think a better version of Mitchell Marsh probably, but again not someone that I would say you know commanded a spot in the side with either uh, discipline. I think I think Shane Watson is a limited overs cricket. I think is one of the greatest that the game has ever seen. But uh, Test cricket, I, I don't think Australia have really had a world class all rounder. For quite quite a long time now, as far as Test match cricket is concerned. But Australia always, you know, I think Australia is a team that has always relied on the quality of their four frontline bowlers, and, and and they've always done well. So I mean, I, I just don't understand this new newfound obsession with the all rounder. I, I mean, I, I I'm more of a traditionalist. I think pick your six best batsmen, pick a good keeper batsman, and then your four best bowlers. Our bowling is supposed to be our strength. Uh, we're supposed to have the best bowling attack in the world. So why not let the why not trust the four bowlers to do the job? So, yeah, I mean, I was not comparing uh, Ken Watson even uh, to, you know, the Imran Khans or the Kapil Devs or, you know, some of the legit all-rounders. But I think just like you said, uh, there's this current obsession with most teams. You know, they look for balance and the, that balance is usually provided by someone who can either do one discipline better than the other. So, let's look at Australia's batting. Uh, Aaron Finch and uh, Usman Khaja when uh, uh, they toured the UAE were the two names that, you know, they were banking on and both came, you know, I think with decent runs in those two test matches. And now I have a feeling, again, you can correct me, I, I think Finch would be a key man in the series, especially playing at home and even uh, 
when Paul Dennett was here, he said he's averaged more than 48 in the last three, four years in the red ball format. So that is pretty world-class, I think, if you're doing it as an opener. And of course, he hasn't uh, done it for Australia. So what is your take on Finch and Khaja? You think um, who who shines here, uh, in your opinion, uh, if you are making a prediction? No, I think regarding regarding that stat about Khawaja, I think the, uh, about Finch rather, I think the key thing to note is that the average of 48 uh, that he has over the last three or four seasons of Sheffield Shield cricket has actually come in the middle order. You know, and and th- there was a recent controversy over over, over over Aaron Finch's batting position for Victoria in the most recent Sheffield Shield match that I think that that got concluded today. Uh, was that you know Shane Warne and you know few other Australian ex Australian cricketers and you know, had a bit of an outrage on Twitter about this that you know, Victoria are putting their own interests about 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 the interests of the Australian cricket team they should be opening with him uh, personally I don't agree with that I think Victoria have been successful with Aaron Finch batting in the middle order and with Marcus Harris and Travis Dean as their openers for in the last several years in in the in the in the Sheffield Shield cricket uh, and, uh, eventually they decided to decided on a compromise and batted Aaron Finch at number 3 and you know they, i think they lost the they lost one of their openers in the first over anyway so he was virtually opening and he he played on a on a pretty seam friendly surface at the gabba so in the end he pretty much did the job of an opener in 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 the most recent Sheffield Shield game that he played but I mean, to answer your point about his Sheffield Shield record, he, he, he's not an opener in, in first-class cricket. He, he, his runs, the, the average of 47, that has come primarily from batting down the order. So I think I think the jury is still out as far as Aaron Finch's ability as an opener in Australian conditions is concerned. I think subcontinent, I think that that's a different ball game altogether. Opening is probably the best best spot to bat in the in the UAE or maybe any any part of Asia, where the new ball doesn't do as much, and you know you probably want to. Uh, face the hard new ball before the spinners come to the picture and you know get your eye in and, and to be able to tackle the spinners better whereas in Australia where you know the pitches even though they're obviously not as seam friendly as the ones that you get in England or South Africa or New Zealand uh, but the pitches will still have some pace and bounce and you know uh, there has been some talk in in recent times the pitches this 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 year are probably going to be more seam friendly than some of the ones that we have seen in, in recent times, which have been really bland and, and made for some really pretty boring cricket. Um, so, yeah, if the pitches have some pace and bounce in it and the ball seems around a little bit, then I think Aaron Finch definitely will have his work cut out. Uh, ever since he's you know, assumed the captaincy of the limited oversights, which which happened right after the test series in the UAE, his, his form has been very poor. He's failed in the T20Is in, against Pakistan in the UAE, had a terrible ODI series against South Africa. Didn't do much with the bat against India either in the recent T20I series. So you know his form of late hasn't been great. He did get a 50 odd uh, that that I spoke about in the in the most recent Sheffield Shield game that was played on the green top. So yeah, some some confidence for him. I think heading into the Test series, but I think Aaron Finch. I think the jury is still very much out on him as a Test match batsman, especially at the top of the order. Okay, well said. I didn't know that his runs again. That's a part of uh, the lack of knowledge. Uh, you know, that I have. And that's why I think you are the big analyst on this podcast. So I didn't know, like, he's not opening uh, for Chef in, in a Sheffield Shield stint. Uh, so those runs, definitely, I'm also a purist. I believe middle-class runs are slightly different uh, in, in most part of the world, even, even you know, Indian conditions, because, like you said, uh, it's an e- probably an easier task, but still, you know, the openers would you know, always nick, nick a good one or just so- sometimes a mistake, uh, a mistake happens in judgment and... Uh, 
I think middle order is a different place. So that being said, if you were to look uh, at the first two tests, the squads announced, who are some of the guys in the Australian ranks that you think uh, can dominate this Indian attack or at least come good and pose totals that are worth, you know, uh, for, for the Australian side to, to contest this test, uh, test matches as home favourites? We'll get to that if they're favourites or not, but, you know, they're the home team. So who are some of the men that you're looking forward to uh, to rise to the challenge against this Indian team attack? I think Usman Kawaja is definitely the key man for Australia this summer. I mean, I've been a big f- critic of Kawaja in the past uh, regards to his performances overseas, and I, mean, I always felt that uh, his attitude is a little bit lazy, and you know that you know he sometimes had this tendency to throw his wicket away a little bit. But you know, uh, if if you look back at the most recent test series that Australia played in the UAE, Kawaja played two of the finest innings that you know we've seen from an Australian batsman for for a long time especially in overseas conditions. So, you know, he he's had a bit of a layoff since. He, he got injured in the second test and he only just re- returned to, you know, action, cricketing action in, 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 in for Queensland in the, in, the, in the Sheffield Shield game, ongoing Sheffield Shield game that I think that I believe concluded yesterday. Um, so, he did get he did get a 40-odd in the first inning. So, he's got some runs under his belt uh, since his return from injury and because he was in such good form prior to prior to his injury, and if you look at his record overall at home, he averages 60, 60 at home over the last over the last four or five years. So you know he's the he's the type of batsman that you definitely would like to bank on in home conditions. And I think I think he'll be batting at number three. I expect Aaron Finch to open with Marcus Harris, and Kevaja will probably return to his favoured number three spot at home. Uh, Sean Marsh is again another guy. Again, I, I have no loss for Sean Marsh. I mean, I, I've criticized him more on social media than perhaps than any other Australian cricketer. But again, uh, at home, his record over the last few years is undeniably good. He, he is the man in form. I mean, Kawaja, there is still some uncertainty over him because he's returning from an injury. But Sean Marsh, ever since he has returned from that tumultuous tour of the UAE, he's been spiling on runs for fun, whether it in ODI cricket for Australia or in the Sheffield Shield, he scored he scored some runs in tough tough conditions. He, he got a 160 odd chasing down a target of 300 for Western Australia in in, in one of the matches. He got a 90 and a 80 odd in a, in another low scoring match, and even even in the most recent game, I believe he got some runs. So he, he's been getting some tough runs. He got a brilliant hundred against against a quality pace attack. Of South Africa in the in the ODI series, so I think he's definitely well primed for the challenge. He's in great forms again. He's someone you know. Last summer he still had Steve Smith besides him. This time around he has to lead the batting lineup and pretty much on his own. And there there is Kavaja as well, but man, Sean Marsh is the is the senior pro in this lineup. So I think now is the time for him to you know really repay the faith that has been shown in him by the selectors over the years and time to. Really act as the senior pro in the lineup and deliver a series winning mm. performance. Very well said. I think Sean Marsh, uh, I think, followed through your lens. And even uh, when India was there, I think a few years ago, I think it was it 2011, I believe, uh, or 2014? Yeah, 2011. He, he, he scored something like 18 runs in yeah, four so, test matches at an average of two. <laughs> yeah. So, so compared to him, even though we all have given Rohit Sharma a lot of, you know, a uh, lot of praise for his test efforts, and uh, we always criticize how Indian board. Uh, has stuck with Rohit Sharma or the team uh, team management has. I don't think he's had that kind of faith that the Aussies have put in Sean Marsh. And Sharma is also back in the mix. So we'll have 
couple of minutes on Sharma from you on the podcast. But let's talk about the Australian captain. How much of the series, of course, toss is cricket very critical these days in home conditions as well. Uh, what do you think of his captaincy in, in this, you know, this young span since the Steve Smith episode took place earlier in the year in March? Uh, what do you think of Tim Payne? Uh, how has he grown into the role and uh, how much of uh, a series like this is critical from the captaincy point of view? Uh, Tim Payne, I think, he's only he's only captain in three test matches. I, I, I'm not too sure there is enough of an evidence as far as his tactical abilities are concerned to comment on. But I mean, from whatever I've seen, he, he comes across as, 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 a, as a conservative captain. Um, in, 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 his first, in his first test as captain at Johannesburg, uh, he ended up giving the new ball to Chad Sears, the debutant over Pat Cummins, who's the Australia's best bowler throughout that tour. So, you know, he's, he's, there have been some questionable tactical decisions already um, in his career. Even even in the UAE, you know, he probably didn't quite use Mitchell Stark to the, to the best of his abilities. Uh, John Holland was at times overbold. Manas Labastagne, who, who I think bowled pretty well with his wrist spin, probably wasn't used as much as he should have been. So, yeah, I mean, you, you can probably nit, nit, nitpick faults um, with his captaincy, but uh, you've got to remember that he's only captain three test matches and all have come away from home in tough conditions um, it, 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 with, a, with a pretty weak side at his disposal against uh, against very strong strong opposition sides. You know, we're, we're overwhelmingly favourites at the start of the test match as well, so I'm not too sure you can read too, too harshly into those results. Even in those three test matches, we had a, a remarkable draw that... that Tim Payne himself played a key role in with the bat uh, in the first test against Pakistan and Dubai. So I think there are definitely some positives there as well uh, with regards to how he has gone about his batting. And ever since he came, he returned to the test side and for the Ashes last summer, he's, he's consistently been chipping in with these cameos with the bat low down the order in tough situations. So I think in that regard, I think I, I expect his batting once again to play a key role in the series because as we know, Indian bowlers have historically had problems with knocking off the lower order, even in the recent, even, even the warm-up match that was played today, you know, Australia's last four wickets, I believe, was Cricket Australia 11's last four wickets added something like 300 runs. Once again, I think uh, in, in the series against England that was played in the English summer, Sam Curran was, was England's man of the series, consistently chipping in with runs lower on the order. So again, I think Tim Payne with the bat, bat coming in at number seven, he, I, I expect him to probably have to perform a I expect that he'll probably have to perform a few rescue acts in the series because Australia's top order isn't quite as robust as it was in you know, the last summer or maybe before that. So I think his batting will once again be the key coming in down the order as far as captaincy is concerned. Uh, I think too early to comment on the tactical part of it, but I think I, I really like how he has gone about his job off the field. I think and he's been saying all the right stuff. And Michael Pla- Michael Clark just recently you know created a st- stir. Created, created a bit of a storm on social media and you know, coming out and saying that Australian team are being too soft and they're not playing aggressively enough. And you know, I, and I really like Tim Payne's response to it. He, he, he said that uh, we're, we're not we're not trying to be nice. Uh, we, we we don't care what the opposition think about us. We're merely just trying to win back the respect of the Australian public. And we we would want to play in a way that the Australian public can respect us and. Um, uh, be a team that they can be proud of, and I think that that, that that was a very fitting response to what I think was pretty pretty rubbish comment from Michael Clark. Not the first time that he has said something something like that, but yeah, I think I, I think I, I've really been impressed with how Tim Payne has gone about his job off the field. 
Yeah, that was one of my questions. And a good thing you combined that in your response of what Michael Clark, Simon Kattage, and a lot of people close to cricket in Australia got involved. And we've seen this happen a lot with Indian cricketers, English cricketers, Pakistani cricketers, former cricketers, as soon as they go behind the microphone. Uh, it's, it's something, you know, they say that doesn't sit, sit well with the you know the current scenario of players and it's not a new thing even though you know Michael Clark was a phenomenal captain in my opinion but yeah what he just said is didn't sit well with me and especially given the climate what team Australia has gone through it was just not the kind of comment you know that that needed. I'm not really surprised by his comment because Michael Clark even as a captain even though he was good captain as far as his tactics are concerned but I think Michael Clark is one, I think one of the main culprits for this for whatever panned out in South Africa, it was him and Darren Lehman who really instilled this the so-called cultural problem that you know that, that that is supposed to you know exist in Australian cricket right now. I think Darren Lehman and Michael Clark were the ones who really built this team and, and built this culture into the team environment. So I think Michael Clark definitely has to take some blame for what happened in South Africa if 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 you if you're talking about the cultural side of things uh, and by and by, by suggesting. No, I would, I would, I would intervene here. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and I definitely, you know, look, look to your knowledge for Australian cricket. But I would say this kind of thing is not happening overnight. The culture they built also was something they inherited from the likes of Ricky Ponting and that team. So those teams had a swagger, and like I think Chapel and some of the guys have spoken about it. It just kept building for decades, and that's the reason I'm an Australian fan. I like Australian cricket because there was something. You know, when I was a little boy growing up in India, after India, that, they were my favorite team because from the Allen Border days and things change. And, you know, the aggression from Megra and then some of the other cricketers, it seemed good. But then you don't know when that line was crossed. And I don't know if it was really crossed, but I think that whole thing that win at any cost and then you, you pile up all things that surrounded Cricket Australia. So while I'm with you, I, I'm not a big fan of Darren Lehman and some of the things he did, but I believe it was not his culture because this, these, this is like governments. You know, like the process goes on, the new guy comes in, puts his fresh stamp, but overall the culture is a byproduct of what went on in the previous era. Your thoughts? No, absolutely, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I just think that coming from Michael Clark, who's you know, who's openly been on air uh, telling Jimmy Anderson that he should get re- ready for a broken fucking arm, and in 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 light of the in, in light of the you know the things that have come out in the Australian cultural review and you know the manner in which the Australian public has pretty much turned off this Australian team, I, I don't think a former Australian captain making these kind of comments is is particularly helpful in the current environment. Especially, I think I, I just think it's, it's, it's a case of mixing up two different things, just trying to desperately arrive at some sort of a conclusion um, when they're completely unrelated. You know, Australia's Australia's recent struggles have primarily been been with the bat. And when you're talking about sledging, you're mostly talking about the bowling side, right? I mean, you, you, batsmen don't sledge bowlers. I mean, I mean, maybe th- there are some exceptions. I mean, someone like a Javed Miandat, for example, uh, was was probably one of those batsmen who, who sledged the bowlers. But I mean, when you're talking about sledging, or Kevin Peterson, Kevin but, Peterson. you know, when, when you're talking about Bats uh, sledging, you're primarily talking about unsettling the bowling side. In Australia, have not been struggling because they've been not, not been dismissing the opposition cheaply. They've been struggling with the bat. Australia lost the T20 series against Pakistan because they couldn't score runs. They lost the Test series against Pakistan because they couldn't score runs. Even in the recent T20, the the loss that they had against India, uh, due to which the series got tied, uh, it was it was a batting failure. I think the bowlers did a pretty good job to take that game down to the last over. 
So again, Australia's problems have have been with the bat. They, they, they're not. They're, I mean, I'm not saying everything is perfect with the bowling. You can always nitpick balls uh, in any department. But Australia's primary pro- primary problem over the last, I mean, over the last several years, in fact, but I think more so in recent times, has been as far as the batting is concerned. So I think blaming that on lack of aggression or sledging, I think that's absolute hogwash. I think it's probably more than you know, a testament of Australian cricket okay. uh, of how far the domestic cricket in Australia has fallen. That they're not able to produce any kind of batsmen or equipped to handle the challenges of international cricket. I mean, if, if Darcy Short is the is the best product that the Big Bash League can throw up, then I think you know we need to have a serious relook at at the quality of that league. Very well said, Australian. Uh, you know the the batting dilemma is quite known even to uh, f- fans like me who casually you know follow the scene uh, when it comes to like cricket australia uh, so let's bring in justin langer you know i know you were very excited and of course you were the excitement was doubled because darren lehman got you know he, he left the scene and then uh, a guy like langer <laughs> came in so it's just like you know when i was happy when ravi shastri was let go and kumble came in but you know uh, the opposite happened when shastri came back <laughs> and kumble left uh, as an australian cricket supporter so th- these, these events gives gives you hope because you know here is a man who was part of one of the storied teams and then his his cricket acumen is also quite well respected and now he comes in these testing times so how good of a fit is he in this in in this time for australian cricket i think i mean i, I think i've liked what i've seen of jared justin langer so far you know uh, he he has said some stuff in in press conferences and all that that, that may sound a little bit cliche and you know it's 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 a bit it's it's a bit funny for social media to make jokes about i mean the stuff like elite honesty and elite mateship i mean that's good for memes on on twitter and all but i i i mean besides that i mean if you look at the actual cricketing part of uh, whatever he said i mean he spoke extensively in detail about about the importance of batting technique after the after the test series against pakistan after australia lost that second test collapsing to mohammad abbas's swing bowling uh he, he talked about he talked about the need for having having decisive footwork and uh, playing late and the, and your ability to counter the moving ball um and and this, and this is coming from a guy who, who over the last several years coaching western australia has always been known for the catchphrase character over cover drives so for him to you know change his stance and talk about the importance of technique rather than just character i think that that that's a very welcome change and i, I think he's 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 saying all the right stuff and even in the odis and the t20is uh, i i think he's been very flexible with his tactics for example i mean alex carey was i think probably one of the best players of spin bowling that we have in the odi side he was promoted up the order to tackle imran tahir in the odi series against south africa whereas big hitters big hitters like marcus toynis and glen maxwell were held back lower down the order so i think i mean you know these are small things but i i just think it it shows that he is at least thinking in the right direction even though it might not have fetched the desired results so far but i mean these are the kind of moves that i i, I never really saw under dan lemer it was it was just one set pattern of, of play and if it worked it, it looked great if it didn't then you know we just move on and start another day playing with the same 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 kind of tactics same kind of approach no flexibility and, and, and so i just think from whatever i've seen of justin langer and i think he is a lot more flexible a lot more adaptable to different kinds of situations than darren lehman and as far as the team selection is concerned there was some talk that 
of of a rift between Marcus Harris and Justin Langer because Marcus Harris was uh, formerly a part of the Western Australia side when Justin Langer used to coach them, and he and Justin Langer it is it is alleged to not be particularly pleased with his decision to move to Victoria from Western Australia, and at that time he rubbished him as a mediocre player or something. Uh, so for him to be now picked in the side, uh, picked in what is Justin Langer's first first home test side, uh, I think that 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 shows that you know he's not he's not petty with personal issues and all, and he's, he's putting the interest of the team above his personal personal scores and all that sort of stuff. So I think I think that that's not not that's a big tick for Justin Langer in my book as well. And yeah yeah I mean I mean. People, I mean, love to have some conspiracy theories. Uh, very well said about you know, like the welcome change from Langer's point of view. Now let's talk about the first Test match in Adelaide. Adelaide has been, I think, India's favorite hunting ground along with Sydney. Uh, I've followed Indian teams since '91 when Tendulkar uh, toured uh, the Australian shores for the first time. Even in that series when India got pretty much whitewashed, Adelaide presented one of the best chances to win a Test match. They chased a 373. Uh, fell short by 38 or 40 runs. Azhar scored 100. And then uh, Dravid, you know, in 2003 and Lakshman, they registered that, uh, you know, emphatic win. Of course, there's no Megra and Vaughan uh, uh, in that series. And then uh, even last time we we were there, Kohli and Vijay uh, gave India, you know, a chance of a miraculous fourth inning chase. So historically, this is a ground that I think has supported, you know, at least subcontinental batting. Uh, of course, India is becoming a better a touring side now. Some may disagree, uh, you know. But uh, what do you think this uh, surface gives uh, historically a chance to the touring Indians? You think this is their best chance to get ahead because usually Brisbane has been the first test, and which has been India's Achilles' heel. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So scheduling-wise, I think uh, Adelaide is quite a perfect start. And this is actually a tricky question to answer because the last time Adelaide hosted a day test match was actually the one against India that you talked about four years ago. Since then, there have been three day-night tests at the venue, and as we know, day-night test matches uh, are, are, are a completely different ball game altogether compared to day test matches. The pitches for the day-night tests in Adelaide have all had a fair amount of grass on it. I wouldn't call them green tops, but they did had a fair amount of grass covering. They also use the pink ball, which tends to move around a little bit more than the red ball, and and obviously the ball zips around, tends to zip around a little bit more under the lights. So I think that completely changes the dynamics of of the uh, the typical Adelaide surface that you get for day test matches, but again, uh, you know, if they continue to leave grass on the surface, then even without the pink ball and even without the lights, the ball I think will still do around a little bit, and because uh, in the recent, in the recent ODI matches that have been played there, uh, you know, the last couple of ODIs, the last ODI against England that was played in uh, in in Jan earlier this year, George Hazelwood and Pat Cummins tore tore apart the English top order. Uh, utilizing whatever steam moment was there on the surface and bowled him out for 191, and Australia managed to chase that down. That was Australia's only only win of that series. And and the recent game against South Africa, Australia managed to defend 220 odd on uh, on I think on what was a reasonably decent batting surface, but again that had some uh, you know some amount of grass on it. It was not the typical flat Adelaide surface that you that you we used to attribute to Adelaide. Of maybe four or five years ago, or before that, that you're talking about when subcontinental sites used to thrive there. So I think the pitch at Adelaide has definitely undergone some sort of a change uh, ever since they introduced day-night test matches there. Whether they revert to type and you know 
go back to the typical flat subcontinental st style surface now that they're playing a day test again i think that's something that remains to be seen but if the pitches are similar to what we had for the day night test matches then i think there should still be a fair amount of assistance for the seam bowlers even without the pink ball and uh, you know even without the lights so yeah i think i, I think i think it, it will be a pretty good surface i think it's adelaide is generally offered something to everyone so yeah i think i think it's, i think I, I don't think it's a surface that favors particularly favors either side but i, I would still probably fa fancy australia because australia have done really well at adelaide in in recent times okay and what are some of the mouth watering uh, matchups in this series uh, for me it's cummins and hazelwood versus kohli uh, enlighten me what do you think are some of the other good matchups matchups that can happen in the in this test series i think the, 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 there are plenty of quality matchups i think Prithvi Shaw is, uh, I think, as we, as we know, got injured in the in the warm-up match, trying trying to catch catch a ball on the boundary, um, and and he's out at least of the first test, possibly more. Uh, so I think he, I, I was looking forward to seeing how he goes against someone like a Josh Hazelwood on Australian wickets, but there's a little bit of extra bounce. But you know, he, uh, he he won't be playing at least the first test match. So I guess it'll probably be Murli Vijay and KL Rahul to open for India. I guess. Although there's some talk that maybe they might open with someone like Vihari and have Rohit Sharma down the order. I think we'll get to that later. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Murli Vijay is, is is he had a really good series in Australia last last time around four years ago. Uh, hasn't done well in recent times. So I guess I, I'll be quite interested to see how Murli Vijay goes against Mitchell Stark, for example. Uh, Mitchell Stark will 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 get that ball angle away from the right hander, and Murli Vijay in recent times. Has been is is not quite the monk-like batsman that he was in in 2014, where he was leaving everything outside the off stump. He's had this tendency to fish fish at balls outside the off stump and try and search for the deliveries. Uh, in recent times, so whether he can resist that temptation against that away-going angle of Mitchell Stark, that that's something that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, Ajinkya Rahane, as we know, he's, he's had his struggles against spin bowling, is particularly uh, at home and. Nathan Lyon in Australian conditions is, is a very, very tricky customer to handle because the kind of overspin that he gets. Uh, so I think I think Ajin Karahane against Nathan Lyon will again be a battle that to really look forward to. I think the, the forward short leg will obviously play a very key role in that battle because I, I could see some catches popping up with extra bounce in Australian wickets. So that, that, that that's a very... How about, how about, how about Bumra versus Paja? Bumrah, I think Bumrah, I think against possibly against someone like Aaron Finch at the top of the order because Aaron Finch he, he's, he's been assigned that you know the David Warner kind of responsibility I guess to really go after the bowling and, and give get Australia off to a flyer and and uh, as I said Finch still Finch still still has a lot to prove at Test level so it will be interesting to see his approach whether he can he can play his usual free flowing game or whether he's a bit more constrained in his approach Kawaja obviously I think is Kawaja is Australia's I think best batsman and Kawaja I think against Bumrah again obviously Bumrah is India's best bowler so and Kawaja against Bumrah will obviously be a key battle uh, but again Kawaja against probably Ravi Chandran Ashwin as well because Kawaja uh, as we know he's had his issues against Oxpin in the past even though he is rectified that to a degree with his performances in the in the UAE but again um, Pakistan didn't really have a world-class off-spinner in that side. So even though Ashwin is is not quite the same bowler overseas that he is at home, but I think there might be still be a mental block 
in, in Kawaja's mind, I guess, because even Moin Ali troubled, troubled him a little bit last summer. So again, Kawaja against Ashwin is a battle that that could be interesting. And again, Ishan Sharma's bowl, I think, really well to the left-handers, particularly in England. So again, he is another guy who could really trouble the Australian left-handers from around the, around the wickets. So I think Sean Marsh against Ishan Sharma is another battle that I'm really looking forward to because Sean Marsh has had problems against that around the wicket angle from right, right arm seamers. And Ishan Sharma is probably one of the best in the world at exploiting that kind of weakness. He had Alistair Cook in all kinds of trouble in England recently. Mm. So Sean Marsh is, is being again one of Australia's better batsmen. Uh, he, he'll, he'll, have to, he'll have to watch out for that. Hey, there you go, listener. Sanket has presented some very exciting uh, matchups on both sides as this uh, first test is, you know, a few days away. So, Sanket, let me put you on the spot. Uh, before we were, were preparing for the podcast, you said Australia in your mind is, uh, you know, are the favourites. So, what is the series scoreline you're thinking? Uh, if Australia, you know, of course, toss is something you have to keep in mind because we don't know. This is just purely pr- predictions. But uh, who wins the series if it's Australia and by what scoreline? I, generally, I think I believe that Australia is a more toss-neutral country than, say, some of the subcontinental countries because, you know, the pitch pitch doesn't really change all that much over the course of five days because these are drop-in wickets primarily, and even even some of the natural surfaces like Sydney or uh, Adelaide, you know, I, I believe Adelaide uses drop-in, so I think Sydney is probably the only natural surface that will be used in this series. So, yeah, I, I don't think there is any surface that will change its nature drastically over the course of five days. So toss probably is not that important uh, in that context. But this is an inexperienced Australian side. This this side doesn't have Steve Smith uh, in the middle order to guide them like he like he did in the last Ashes. So in that context, this is not the batting lineup that you that you would probably want to be batting second, chasing, uh, staring at a total of 400 plus on the board. So so I think in that regard, the toss does become important, and you ideally want to bat first and put runs on the board. But I, I don't think it's it's completely, uh, 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 you know, it's it's it's. I don't think it's a win the toss, win the match kind of a situation like it is, at, at in places like Sri Lanka or Pakistan or, or the UAE or Bangladesh these days, where it, you know, the match is pretty much one of the toss. All right, who wins it? I don't think it'll be, yeah. So I think yeah, I think I mean I'm I'm generally very pessimistic. So, and I I mean. Ideally, I would love to see Australia 4-0, but I, I don't think that's a realistic prospect this time around with the kind of squad that we have. So I think I'll probably settle for a you know probably more realistic 2-1, I guess. I think I, I think there'll definitely be a draw somewhere because in Australia, India have got a very strong batting lineup, and I expect at least one flat track in Australia. Uh, so I think there'll be one draw, and hopefully Australian bowlers can do enough to sneak out a couple of wins. And yeah, I think Australian batting will collapse at least once in the series to lose a Test match. I think probably it, probably it will be at Perth. I think if I had to make make predictions for the individual Test matches, I think Perth is the one that I'm not really sure about because it's the first Test at the venue, and Australia. So even the Australian batsmen are not particularly used to those conditions because they're playing playing at that venue for the first time. There there's not been a lot of Sheffield Shield cricket played there either, so I think those are still fairly alien conditions for the Australian batsmen. And the pitch tends to favor the bowlers, and I've always felt that Indian India India become twice the side overseas when they get a bowler-friendly surface. Their last most recent Test win in Australia also came at Perth. It was obviously at a different venue, at the Wacker, in in 2008. So this 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 venue is somewhat similar to that in terms of the conditions. So I think that 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 could definitely bring the likes of Bumrah and Ishan Sharma into play. So I think that that's the test that I think India will win. I think Australia will win at Adelaide and Melbourne, and I'm going for a 
probably a high scoring draw at Sydney. Okay. So, yeah, two so, one. So let's do some one word rapid fire kind of uh, answers. Uh, who will score the second most runs for India if Kohli is definitely you know the batting force? Who comes good? Who plays Robin to his Batman if India have to do well in the series? I think Ajinkya Rahane will have a really good series because and he didn't have a good series in England, but I think these conditions suit him much better than because the ball doesn't seem around a little bit as much and probably won't be as much spin either. So I think I am expecting him to come good. He's just too good a player to still be struggling because he's been struggling for quite some time now. So I think he'll probably do a good series. Will this series be a make or break for Rohit Sharma, yes or no? I'm not so sure if he'll get into the 11 for the first test. If he does, then I think it's definitely make or break time for him because these are perfect conditions for him. He's been picked specifically with an eye on his ability to play the horizontal bat shots on the stream and wickets. So if he doesn't really perform here, then I think it's probably the end of the road for him. Who will be India's Achilles heel? Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood or Nathan Lyon or Mitchell Stark? I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not too sure about you know, picking out a standout bowler. I think it will be one of Hazelwood or Cummins. I think Nathan Lyon will do a decent job uh, as, as a support act. I don't expect him to run through the Indian batting lineup. Mitchell Stark as a test bowler, I, I'm still not convinced. I, I just think he lacks the control and the consistency. And this, there are major question marks over his fitness as well, whether he can get through a four-test series. So I think you know, I, I said it'd probably be one of Hazelwood or Cummins. Will Cheteshwar Pujara get 100 finally in Australia? Uh, tough question to answer, and I, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm probably gonna sit on the fence on that. I think he has the ability to, but again, it's not something that I would definitely bank on because uh, on, in Australia, I believe you need some. You need a really good attacking horizontal bat game to really be able to dominate attacks. So Pujara probably lacks a little bit in that regard, but he's got an excellent temperament. He, he can grind bowlers. So maybe at, maybe maybe at, on a slow wicket at Sydney. He could probably grind out a hundred. So yeah, I, I, I'm not too sure about this whether he will or not. Maybe yeah. So let's quickly uh, turn the conversation. I think we covered plenty of India and Australia. Let's bring uh, the other series that's going on in UAE, Pakistan, and New Zealand. That's quite a bizarre series. How Pakistan lost the first test is just you know, uh, again, uh, not to poke any fun, but again, you know, they they found ways to lose their test match and they did, but then they came back with a very convincing uh, second test. So, what is your take of you know the cricket played there, and is uh, is Pakistan uh, you know is, are they like the most mercurial side out there? I mean, you know th- those two results in the span of like seven days, only they could have produced that kind of results. Well, I, th- th- this is a little bit of a cliche about Pakistan cricket that they they they're mercurial and all that. I think I think this cliche about them was somewhat not true under Ms. Baulak because I think there was a very set pattern to the way they played their cricket in the UAE. They won a lot of tosses. Bat first, and you know, really grinded the opposition down, and then used their spinners to pull the opposition out. And that that was a pl- pattern that really worked well for them under Misbah. And I think I think under Misbah, I think they were probably one of the most predictable sides in, in Test cricket because uh, they had clear clear weaknesses which which were exploitable, and they obviously struggled in the uh, when those weaknesses were exploited. Whereas you know, when you play to their strengths, they were they were they were really formidable side. Uh, but yeah, I think the current side, you know, without without the experience of Misbah and Yunus Khan, I think this side has become a sort of a, uh, you know, a throwback to the some of the earlier Pakistan sides, which were, uh, you know, which were which you know really uh, oscillated from the sublime to the ridiculous. So yeah, even even in the series against Australia, we saw I mean they 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 were unable to bowl Australia out for 140 overs in the fourth innings in the first test, and then just were, I think, 50 for 5 in the first innings of the second test and managed to win the test 
by 200 200 odd runs so uh, and and the same thing happened here is it's happening here as well they lost a test that they had absolutely no business losing um, against new zealand the first test it was it was a typical pakistan collapse chasing a pretty modest total on on a pretty harmless surface i would say but again in the second test they lost a couple of early wickets in the first session and there was lots of mourning among pakistan fans about, about why they why the hell they're batting slow so slow and haris sohail i think got 100 from got 100 got 140 of something like 450 deliveries so that i mean that that's the slow by any standards not just modern day test cricket i think that's slow but even by the jeffrey boycott standards of test cricket so pujara pujara is not that slow so yeah but i mean so there there was plenty of complaints and moaning from pakistan fans they batted nearly two full days and scored just barely over 400 but again their bowlers their bowlers delivered yasir shah who looked i think pretty much toothless in the series against australia um and it was very ineffective and they had to be bailed out by the same same bowling of mohammad abbas he's returned to his best with a 14 wicket haul which i think i believe this are the second best figures by a pakistani bowler in in test in test history so what a comeback again unpredictable pakistan as you see so yeah i mean i think yeah and let's let's conclude this uh, let's conclude this chat with uh, a comment you made on twitter a few weeks ago calling asash shafiq one of the bigger enigmas out there throw some light on that i know he scored that great three great triple turn while chasing in australia not too long ago so what's gone of his career i haven't followed him much but his average is still below 35 or 40 if i'm not mistaken average is in average is in the late 30s thing average something like 38 or 39 now yeah i think asit shafiq is yeah i mean i've been a big fan of asit shafiq as a batsman i mean ever since he made his debut i think i like i like the way he plays i think he's got a very sound technique a classical old fashioned test match batsman um pretty good against both pace and spin uh, ha- has a 100 in australia has a 100 in south africa which not many pakistani batsmen have i think it, in south africa in 2013 in that and and that series pakistan batsmen came a cropper against the likes of stain and palander and asad shafiq was the one guy who really stood up and scored that 100 and he's he's done well in england as well so you know he's got runs or he's got runs all over the world but the problem is that he, he gets runs all, all over the world but doesn't get enough enough runs anywhere so you know he's he's become something of a jack of all trades master of none kind of a batsman who who gets runs everywhere but doesn't really get big runs or doesn't really consistently dominate series he plays one good innings every series and then he just disappears completely and that that was okay when they had the likes of yunus and misbah because and asad shafiq was still that inexperienced kind of batsman you know the the youngster batting at number 6 behind four or five experienced batsmen but now he's the senior pro in this lineup along with azhar ali with those two you know uh with those two experienced players out of the picture and he has to take take on more responsibility has to get bigger hundreds um and has to be the one really setting the tone for the likes of babar azam and haris sohail and other other youngsters in the team to follow but he, he still he still is not evolved as a batsman and that's that's this point that's the disappointing thing about us so he's he still considers himself to be that to be that inexperienced number 6 batsman who used to get pretty 50s and the odd 100 but not really make those substantial contributions that really define define him as one of the top batsmen of the or top batsman in test cricket 
Nice, Sanke. Thanks for doing this. I think we covered quite a lot and we should do a couple more podcasts as this interesting India versus Australia series unfolds. But I think for a preview uh, from the Australian point of view, and then you also threw some matchups with the Indian fans would look forward to. And I think you also were brave enough to make a prediction. Of course, a little biased prediction, some might say. But uh, even I don't think... In my... I'm, I'm not biased at all. Because no, no, I'm no. generally very pessimistic. No, I, I said some might think. I didn't say you made a biased prediction. But at the same time, uh, again, my knowledge is not as astute as yours. I also thought for some reason the Indian bowling attack is getting a lot of, uh, you know, pat on the back for the work they did in England, rightfully so. But I still think in these conditions, it's a different skill set that takes uh, place. Like you said, you know, there's not enough, you know, grass or enough, you know, uh, swinging conditions. So it's going to be a test for, you know, Kohli's boys. And uh, let's see. Uh, it's, it's going to be a very interesting series in my point of view. But I... Yeah, I, I give Australia a slight edge, but then I think India is good enough. If they get get a win, they can extend that lead. So let's see and let's follow this and uh, let's do this again after hopefully between uh, Brisbane and Adelaide. Hopefully, hopefully an Australian win at Adelaide. <laughs> All right, I won't do that hopeful, but yeah, let's see. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah.